uh, tonight for just a moment. We thank God for His His mercy and His care, and uh, and His great blessings. So we're thankful you're here online with us tonight, and we want to go to God in prayer here in just in just a moment. All right, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to serve you tonight, to study a portion of your holy and divine word, to learn from your truth, to grow and to increase our faith from your word. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. We ask, Lord God, that you open our minds, our hearts to understanding. Bless us, Lord God, to to be what you want us to be and to continue to grow every day for our own benefit and good and for yours as well. These things we pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Be thy will. Amen. Okay. Um, from the book of Ruth. Tonight, the, uh, the, the we're doing meditate on these things. Philippians 4, um, verses 8 and verse 9. As we think about meditating on these things, well, the next uh, word there is... Uh, Excellence, to dwell on excellence, or some versions may say virtue. This is a very unique word that's found uh, written in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And, and so allow me just to, to give an idea of the way. It's used four times in the New Testament. We'll look at, at um, I believe, three of those four times that it's written. Philippians 4 will be actually the fourth. So, virtue, beneficial, highly esteemed, moral goodness, righteousness, morality, integrity, dignity, honor, decency, nobility, excellence, or purity. <laughs> so that's basically the summation of what this word means, which really there, I think more than summing up the word is summing up what Paul has said thus far. So it appears to me to be that this is a summary word that Paul is using to bring us up to speed. Um, so what I think in this text is to go back to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Because as as we think of excellency, something that is excellent, a, a virtuous life, we think of maybe um, living by the fruit of the Spirit or living by the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I, I looked through the scriptures, I thought about uh, what is an what is an excellent scripture that we can think of that would really produce the idea of excellency and excellent? And of course, we know that we can look at Jesus uh, always for any kind of positive uh, affirmation or any kind of positive idea uh, looking in the scriptures. But I want to look at Ruth chapter one because in the book of Ruth uh, there is uh, an interesting relationship that I want to bring out. Uh, you can look at Ruth and think about even about Jesus in some ways. So verse 15 and verse 16, it says, Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, 
I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Such a simple scripture. One of of definite love. But I think of Ruth. um, When Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law to go back. Because everyone's, I mean all the husbandmen were dead. Go back to Moab. Go back and, and find a husband and live your life. And don't worry about me. I will be fine. And, and Naomi took on the name Mara because she was, she was bereaved, she was, she was, she was grieved, she was heartbroken. And she was bitter, right? But Ruth uh, makes this incredible statement and she refused to go. Now let's think about excellency for just a moment. When, when Ruth refused to go, and we step away from, from, I guess, um, the scene for, for just a moment and, and look at what does Naomi have to offer Ruth? Nothing. I mean, she's, every, they left. Remember, they left. She and Abimelech left because every, it was a, there was a great famine and then they had nothing. And they went somewhere to go build and then, then, you know, he died and then the two, uh, Two sons died, and so there, there was there was nothing left. It was a great famine, and, and the world was struggling at the time. And Naomi was going home because she had no more resources. She had nothing to sustain or care for herself, and she wanted her daughters-in-law to go home to their home because it's, it's more difficult to try and care for them as well. But at the same time, Naomi knew that there was something at home. Someone at home would, would take her in. She had nothing to offer Ruth. And yet, Ruth decided in her heart that I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to take care of you all the days of my life. Right? Excellency. That's an excellent thought. An excellent idea. It's something that produces, it's a noble thought, right? Ruth displayed a, a, le- a level of love that is, is later given to us uh, in, in the Greek, uh, agapeo, a love without exception. In other words, it's kind of like the love that Moses uh, Moses had for God. That Moses chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, right, with Egypt. Ruth, though she could have gone home and, and become married and, and have a, a happy life, etc., she chose to go with Naomi regardless of what is coming their way. In spite of the the difficulty of living, she refused to leave her alone. So the love that Ruth had for Naomi, as I kind of thought about it, I went back to the definition, I looked at it, and I realized, well, let's see, there's virtue. It, it, it's one of, um, you know, it's beneficial. It's one that you'd say this is a, a highly esteemed relationship. Uh, it's really impressive. It's a it's a moral good one. It's full of moral and goodness, morality and goodness, and righteousness, and integrity, and dignity, and honor, and decency, and nobility, and purity. 
just just in that relationship that we're looking at here with Ruth and Naomi. I thought, you know, this fits so perfectly in in what we're talking about, dwelling on things that are things that are excellent or things that are virtuous. What are some excellent things that you can think of outside of? I like to I like to. Um, Okay, so we never negate Jesus, but I like to look at when I'm when I'm teaching a Bible class and, and I'm thinking about the scriptures, I like to look at, of course, it's always Jesus. He's always our go-to for everything, right? But I also want to look at people that um, are separate from Jesus because when you're talking to people in the world, they'll say, yeah, but Jesus, you know, he was the son of God. And so, of course, Jesus would live a life of nobility and honor and dignity. And yeah, okay, yeah. So you find someone that, that isn't Jesus, that, that, that is not God, that, um, has, has no deity within them, and in how well this fits. It really helps with our decision making in life. You know, when, when you're looking at difficult and trying times, times of struggle and, um, unfortunate circumstances and uh, situations that are, that are devastating, you can still maintain a godly attitude. It's a choice. It may not be the first choice always because of our grief, but it's a choice. And so, in, in reality, what the Bible is showing us is we dwell on excellent things. It, it, try to take our mind to become to where we're trained so that it becomes second nature to be like Jesus. So, in in... in in perplexing situations, in in your struggle, hold on to Jesus and know that every decision you make is a choice. And, and so, when we're talking to people that are suffering with uh, from depression, we encourage them not to make any any major decisions right now. Not in this state of mind. Wait until you know your thinking is a little clearer and uh, your heart's your heart's a little merrier, and then make that decision. Well, we're looking now at this decision that Ruth makes. And she makes one from the heart. It's an amazing passage of Scripture when you read all of it. And as you read Ruth and remind yourself of the book of Ruth and Ruth herself, you find that there's this value in her that when she enters into uh, the town, everyone knows who she is. So Ruth chapter 2, beginning at verse uh, 10. She's with Boaz at this moment, verse 10. Then she fell on her face bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Is that not the exact same mandate that God gave Abraham? Leave your father's house. And go to a place that I will show you. A place you don't know where you're going. But go to a place that I will show you. There are amazing parallels in the scriptures when you look at the faithful people of God. And uh, there are these parallels that lead us to Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so there's Ruth. We could, we could use Abraham. We could use so many other characters. I want to ask you a question. As you think about Ruth and what Ruth said, I'm going to read it again. 
uh, chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people and your God, my God. I remind you of Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 12. God said, Go to a place that I'll show you. Uh, and so he took everything. He, he, he went by faith. Exactly what God said. Wherever you, whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. And Abraham goes on with God. So the question I want to ask you is this. Do you love God as much as Ruth loved Naomi? Do I love God as much or more than Ruth loved Naomi? Am I willing to honor God and say, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you ask of me, I will do. I will be your servant for life. You will forever be my God. Do I love God more than Ruth loved Naomi? You see, that question is one that only you can answer for yourself and your relationship to God. What I want to do is just to use a reminder for us is to take us to one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. Uh, John chapter 3 and verse 16. Because I want us to think about um, why the answer should be, I love God more than Ruth loved Naomi. And if it's not, why tonight's lesson prayerfully is an encouragement to help alter our thinking. To challenge our mindset. Naomi loved Ruth, and Ruth loved Naomi, but that love does not compare to the love that God has for us. And unfortunately, and I say that trying trying not to be, um, um, maybe I'm trying not to be irreverent, but unfortunately we hear so often, well, God loves us, God loves us, God loves us, that it almost... It almost sounds cliche today. It, it almost um, loses its, its definition and its power because, well, yeah, God loves us. So you hear it so often that it diminishes the power and the thought of the love that God has for us. So you hear it all the time. And that idea that God loves us when uh, some, you know, I mean, anyone, I guess, you, most people, you know, you hear from the pulpit, you know, you, and, and they're preaching to people that don't, that do not love God. And they say, well, God loves you. And then we're, and then we're preaching to folks who love God. And we say, God loves you. And we're preaching to folks on the fence. And we say, God loves you. And we're preaching to folks who are just absolutely just, they just hate God. And we say, God loves you. It kind of takes away the special uniqueness of that love. It takes it away. Because the word love, Today is just not or does not carry the same meaning as it did uh, in the first century. We didn't, we don't have the same power in the word love. And so I want us to think about the word love from the, the vantage point of the viewpoint of heaven to recognize the love that God has for us so that we can think about excellent and we can go back to Jesus and use Jesus as Excellency, something to meditate on or someone to dwell on, a thought to dwell on that has not diminished 
It's power. Right? So, John 3.16, such a familiar passage. For God so, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that uh, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved agapeo, without condition, the world that He gave. What has God given you? We take a step back and look at that excellency. And we say, okay, the first thing. And your first thing will be maybe different from my first thing. The breath of life. Every couple of seconds, I'm breathing. That's a gift. God loves me so much that he's given me consistently throughout my life. The breath of life. God loved me so much. He gave me eyes to see. He gave me ears to hear. He gave me a brain that, it works sometimes. He gave me a brain that works. Feet to walk on. Hands to hold and touch. I mean, think about just your anatomy. Think about just just your anatomy and what God has done for you, what God gave to you. Fingers. Everything God gave you. And then step outside of self and say, God gave. All of your money came from God. All of your stuff, my stuff, came from God. Then sustainability. God has sustained my stuff, my money. All of my food came from God. Everything came from God that's good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James 1 in verse 17. Every good gift. John 15, 5. Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. My ability. My functionality. My everything came from God. When did God give it to me? Before I was. Before I was. In my mother's womb. He gave it to me. Upon the birth stool, He gave it to me. And He kept it with me all the days of my life. Even when I forsook Him. Even when I've gone astray. For God so loved me. God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. And He continues to give. And then, as if, and I guess we'd have to say, there was no other way God chose to give me more. He gave me the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross because of me. And because of you. 
Not because of them, but because of you. Because of me. Because I have damned my own soul. Because I sinned. And I chose to sin. And I loved my sin. And you loved your sin. And then eventually, we accepted God through the waters of baptism. We surrendered to Him. We heard about God and we believed in God and we repented of our sins and we confessed His name and we were baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. We accepted Jesus and and accepting Jesus, we accepted that great and amazing gift that God gave. And who did God give? He could have given anything or anyone, but He did not. He chose to give one of the most precious things that any father could ever have, a child. He gave His only child, the only begotten. Not just any child. Not some random child. Not someone else's child. The only begotten the only propitiation for our sins. Whatever is excellent, dwell on these things. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And after everything that God has done, there is no reason for any human being to ever perish spiritually. But we do, don't we? And you know why we do? Because we don't love God the way God loves us. We don't love God as much as Ruth loved Naomi. And that's something that we are going to have to change. So God demonstrated something for us. Romans 5 um, Beginning at verse 5, he demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to us. Verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God gave. He didn't stop at his son. He gave us the Holy Spirit. As a gift. Through our baptism. He gave. Again. And this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Brings forth our hope. In God. The God head. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless. the At the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. We were in a certain position. In a state of mind. That we were helpless and crying out for a Savior. Though maybe you and I weren't crying at that time or um, or all throughout our lives, but there came a point where the world cried out to God for salvation. And God gave. He gave His only begotten Son for the perfect, right? No. For the ungodly. For the wicked. For you and I. We might not sign up on that list and say, oh yeah, that was me. Well, that is what the Bible defines us as. Wicked. 
in need of a Savior. And God gave, again, His only begotten Son. And in verse 6, while we were still helpless, it was at a time or the right time. It was at the time where we could do nothing or no more for ourselves that God gave. And then verse 7 says, The woman hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would even dare to die. And how true that is. That How many folks do you know that will actually die for you? And that's an answer you cannot answer until you're put in that position. But Jesus was willing to do it. But Jesus takes it one step further. And the question, the question of Jesus is, how many enemies do you know who would die for you? That's a simple answer, isn't it? Zero. Yet while we were the enemy and enemy of the cross, Jesus died. For us. But it goes another step. From the angelic realm, in the heavenly abode, in the heavenlies, the Father does something else. When his son cries for help, the Father does not dispatch the legions of angels to destroy the world. The Father does not dispatch the cherubim, allowing them to place or add judgment upon the world. The Father restrained himself because of the great love the Godhead had for us. God gave. Dwell on those things that are excellent. So I'll take you back to Ruth for just a moment. The idea, not Ruth herself, but back to Proverbs uh, chapter um, 31. Proverbs 31. When you think about virtue and this, this lady named Ruth, then comes to mind verse 10. An excellent wife. Who can find? For her worth is far above jewels. And that's exactly what Ruth was. Far beyond jewels. The next verse, in verse 29. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Proverbs 12 and verse verse 4. The same idea, the same thought. The verse reads, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is as a rottenness to his bones. It's interesting that as I thought about the scripture, and you know, we could think about our wives and say, Praise God for our wives and, and our virtuous women. But I want just to go deeper than that. And to really think about excellency. And I want to take us to First Peter chapter 2. And the idea of excellency is also found in First Peter chapter 2. And it goes right back to God. In verse 9, 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God gave. He gave us position. A people that were not a people. A people that had not received mercy. And gave us position. And now we are a people who have received mercy. The mercy of God. And He has taken this person who was ungodly by dying on the cross, that person surrendering to God. He has taken that person, given that person the gift of the Holy Spirit, grafted that person into the kingdom of His beloved Son, he has taken that individual that was ungodly, but through the blood of Jesus, has been cleansed, and he's given him position. He has made this individual a, a priest, a, a royal person. And he has seated this person in a place of royalty, and he has made this individual a possession of God. God gave. God gave. And to every Christian, when we think of the idea of excellency, we think about what God has done for us from the perspective of heaven's view. Rather than from looking around and using the word love, God loved us like we love pizza. Right? Using the idea, the true word agapeo, what God literally has done for us. That God has always always been concerned about you. Always. And about me. He has protected us and and loved us and thrilled us and tolerated us and grafted us in and done something for us, for me, for you, that we could not do for ourselves. Ruth and Naomi, they had choices in a very difficult situation. And God had a choice. And the choice that God made was to save Ruth and Naomi. A step above, if you will. No comparison to the love that God has for His people. And God never, ever, ever, ever abandons us. Right? Not His children. Why do we abandon him? He never abandons us. He's always there. Why do we turn our backs on God and walk away from God in our lives as Christians? What happens up here? Well, what happens is we fall out of love with God. We, 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 We no longer understand or appreciate the love that God has for us. John 21, Jesus talking to a mortal man, speaking to Peter, with all of Peter's 
flaws and and, and issues in life. Um, Jesus talks to Peter. Actually, I need to... Let's go back. Let's not do that yet. Let's go back to... Um, no, I'm just going to stay here. I, I want to... I want to read this one to you. We'll go back to um, 2 Peter in just a moment. Hmm. No, let me not put the cart before the horse. Go back to 2 Peter. I want to I talk about God. I want to stay in the context of God giving first. God gave. I want to stay there. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to look at God's divine purpose and love for us. Um, I'm, by the way, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> drive those, drive, been crazy over there. Uh, I, I, I want to go back and grab this. We'll, we'll have time to grab this and get to John 21. Um, God gave. So verse 2, um, of 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that His divine power has granted or gave, right? has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. God gave us the first Google. <laughs> right? If you want to know anything, right, pick up your book and start reading. God gave it. Right? I, I know. You say, well, God didn't tell us everything about the animals and about this and about that. No, but he gave us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. There's your first Google. Right? What do you want to know about? You start picking the book up and start reading and digging and researching and use your iBible, not your iPhone, right? There's the answer. God has freely given it. Why won't we take it? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you at home, you can raise your hands if you're by yourself. No one else will know. <laughs> how many novels have you read? And then compare that to how many times you've read the entire Bible all the way through. And then I ask the question, have you ever read the Bible all the way through? And then I ask the question, have you ever read a novel all the way through? It's amazing when you when you go through this idea. People say, "Oh yeah, yes, I read the Bible. I read it through all the way once." Like in your entire life? Well, well, yeah. No, you should read this through every single year, or twice a year, or even more, because everything that we desire to know, God gave it. Everything that pertains to life. And godliness is in that book. Wow. Right? Agape, O oh love. God did not just set us out there and say, hey, you go figure it out. God said, you know, someone, I've heard this, right? Well, you know, God never gave us a manual. Yeah, he did. He gave us one. <laughs> well, you know, not on raising children. Well, you haven't been reading your book. He gave us one about how to raise our children too. Right? It's in there. Everything's in there. You just have to go into this book and you have to dig. But it is there. It's there. But we'll listen to Mr. Spock. And we'll listen to all the other books about how to raise our children. But not go to this book. 
And let this book tell you how to raise your children. Or your marriage. Well, I don't know why my marriage is failing. So you go get a self-help book on marriage when it's right here. Or I'm trying to get my life together. I want to, you know, change my life. I want to do this or that. Go to the Bible. It's all right there. God has given to us, granted us everything that pertains to life and godly. Oh, I get it. You know what happens when we tell our friends that? Maybe tonight, while I'm saying this to you, say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if really, if God really, did really, did God really, brethren, the answer is, it's right here. It's, it's right here. Second Peter chapter 1, again, verse 3. God has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So, when we think about what God has done for us, we ask the question, God, what can I do for you today? What can I, what can I do for you? And then when the day's over, you might, that's in the morning, right? You're ready to get out of bed. And, and the first thing you might, God might say, don't, don't sin. And then he'll say, go and do three things today. While you're living your life without sinning, three things today. I want you to talk to me at your prayer life. I want you to talk to me throughout your day. And I want you just to talk to me in the morning and then catch me at night and then catch me up on all the things that happened in your day. I want you to talk to me throughout your day. Number two, I want you to allow me to talk to you. You, know, you do know God talks to us, right? Yeah, it's through the book. It's through the word. Right? So I want you to pick your book up. And I, and there's so much technology today. I mean, you, you don't even, I mean, I mean, how many members use, how many people use the, the, the hard copy of the book any longer? It's on your iPhone. Right? <laughs> right? And, you know, you can get it. You can even, and guess what? You can press a button somewhere in there in one of your apps and you can just listen to it instead of reading it if you want. Right? God said, let me talk to you throughout your day. I'd rather not talk to you just at night before you go to bed or, or sometime in the middle of the afternoon. I'd like to talk to you throughout your day. How about that? And then as you go along your way, number one, number one, as we, as we stay away from sin, number one, I want you to talk to me. I want you to stay in prayer. Doesn't it say something like pray without ceasing? Yeah, I think that's in there. And then he says, I, I want you to let me talk to you throughout the day. I want to encourage you. I want to continue to lift you up, remind you who you are, um, remind you of your position that you have in Christ. I want to be in your life. I want to be involved with you. Think about, before I get to the third one, th- think about what would happen if uh, you woke up in the morning and you looked over at your spouse and you didn't say a word. They didn't say a word to you. You brushed your teeth and went on. You went to work. Did not communicate with each other. No texting, no, no talking. And then you come home. You walk through the front door and there's no communication. And then you go to bed after dinner, etc. There's no communication throughout your day. How many days do you think you could take of that kind of relationship before you begin to say, some, something's wrong. We wouldn't even make it a day, would we? We t- hey, did I do something to you that, you know, this, I noticed this mom was saying hello and you didn't say, are you okay? Are you alright? Is everything, I mean, we wouldn't make it. 
But yet we do it to God all the time, don't we? We do it to God all the time. Even our children. If we did it, if we did it to our children, they'd say, what's wrong with mom and dad? What's wrong with them? Something happened. Number three. Number one. Talk to God every day. Throughout your day. Number two. Let God talk to you through his word. And number three. Talk to somebody else about God. Right? Tell them something about God. Whether they want to hear it or not. You know, the command that a preacher... In season and out of season, right? Tell them something about the greatness of God, even if it is just to say, you know, God gave us everything that pertains to life and godliness. What does that mean? All right. So when we come back, um, Ben challenged me tonight and said, you are not getting through this tonight. I'm at the end, Ben. (laughs) That's your cue. (laughs) When, When we come back, we'll look, We'll look at the next, so we have a summary, and we'll look at the next idea, whatever is worthy of praise. Sorry, we did not get to John. We'll, we'll get there next week. It, it worked. It fits perfectly. Um, the lesson is yours. I thank you tonight for your time, and I, I just remind you tonight to never forget the word agapeo, what it truly means, how much God really loves each and every one of you. So we can hold our heads high, strong, in true confidence and trusting faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The lesson is yours. I thank you for your time tonight. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you.